Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. So last night, who was here last night? That word last night. Wow. Or if you got to watch it online, that boy brought it last night. And then you did it all within about 12 minutes. <laughs> I told him at one point, I was like, you were just rolling through things so long, but you were dropping theological grenades in our lap, and we're trying to recover from one thing, and you're just blasting on to the next. It was just, oh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it so much. Uh, tonight's going to be a little different <laughs> in comparison to last night. Uh, Colby is level 10 all the time. You should just hang out with him. Uh, but tonight, I want to teach you some stuff. So can I teach you some stuff tonight? Uh, according to the Bible, if you can receive the gift of a teacher, the office of a teacher, if you can receive the office of a teacher, then you can receive the gift of a teacher. And I feel like I have a gift to give you tonight. Uh, I want to talk to you on the idea of preparation day. I, in, in, in preparing myself for this weekend... I begin to read, of course, the story of the crucifixion. I also, we knew way ahead of time what nights and what days we would be preaching this weekend. So I knew I was going to be on this night, the night of the, uh, where he's in the tomb. And so I've been reading this story. I've read it in all four Gospels and several translations and, and just going through it over and over and over. And there was one thing that's synonymous in all the Gospels. All four accounts of the Gospel all have one thing within these scriptures as far as talking about the burial that they all use, and it's this. It was preparation day. All four writers seen that it was so important that they had to let you know Jesus was crucified and buried on the day of preparation. Uh, let's jump to, uh, uh, I lied to you guys, I'm sorry. I'll try not to lie anymore in this sermon, okay? Let's jump to Hebrews chapter 4, actually, and we're going to read a portion out of that. Then we're going to jump back to John and read this, okay? Hebrews 4, starting in verse 1. I may not be showing you it on the screen. All right, we're just going to read out of our Bibles. Stinking screen. We don't need you anyway. Now I need somebody to find me Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Short of what? That's good, ain't it? For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, in those who heard it. Hmm. So, whatever word we give you this weekend, the profitability upon it is based on whether you mix it or not. Verse 3, For, for we who have believed do enter that rest. Say, do enter. We do enter it. Not we might one day. Not hopefully in the sweet by and by. He said, us that we leave, we enter into it. We walk into the, 
And then it goes on, for we who believe enter in this rest, and he, being God, has said, so I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. He's saying, they didn't enter into something that I prepared for them before I made the world. They chose not to enter into it. For he spoke, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day from all his, and God rested from the seventh day of all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8. I know this is a lot of scripture, but we love scripture, right? For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has he himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And there should not be a break between 10 and 11. Because you go from that, for he who has entered, verse 10, he who has entered in his rest, he himself has ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of his disobedience. Let's pray before we read John. Father, we ask that you just speak to us tonight. We've come to learn. We've come to open up. We've come to soak in whatever it is you're showing us. So help us tonight to begin to unlock the promises that you have given us, the promise of rest, the promise uh, of, of inheritance, the things you're promising in our lives. Let tonight be a beginning, a catalyst to push us into those places, to trust you, to mix our faith with this word and live in the fullness of your promises. John chapter 19. This is kind of where we're going to hang out tonight. John 19, verse 38. After this. Huh, that's crazy, because last time I preached, I used a scripture that said, after this. After this, Joseph of Arimathea. Say, Arimathea. Look, I just taught y'all a word. Being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly... That's just so good to me. I don't know why. Like, he was a secret disciple. This is just awesome. For fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, look, another secret disciple. Just makes me, was there like this whole group of secret disciples that we don't know about? Like, they just met at night and hung out and didn't tell nobody? Like, this, this kind of stuff. I love the Bible. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Yeah. Then they took the body of Jesus, wrapped it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. Say garden. In the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had been laid. So... There they laid Jesus because of the Jews' what? Preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. I want to show you some things, and tonight I want to approach this concept from the idea of God's providence. Providence to me is one of those words where we kind of know what it means, but when I was, if I was to ask you what it means, you'd be like, ah, you know, providence. 
And so I just dove into this word. I began to look, and this is one that this is the definition that stuck out to me. Providence is timely preparation for future eventualities. God's providence is Him making timely preparations for future eventualities. Another way you could say that is Him making preparation for future possibilities. How about that? So in looking at the providence of God, we just read in Hebrews chapter 4 where it teaches us the promise of God is that we enter into this rest. That was his promise. It even says he promised and achieved this before the foundations of the world. So what did God do? He made a preparation for a future possibility. So I want to look at this. And the first thing we see in this, and why am I bringing this up? Because I want you to see the power of the providence of God. And the way God works in every little detail, every little thing, nothing was on accident. If you just read through your Bible and you don't stop and pay attention to every detail that the Holy Spirit was putting down, you're missing 90% of what's happening. God does nothing by accident. So when we look at this and we see that there's a man named Joseph shows up, and he's from the village or the town of Arimathea. And if you actually break that down, it's actually the village of Ramah is where this guy is from. As I read through the Gospels, this kept standing out to me that this guy was from this village. And thanks to some cliff notes by Dr. Brian Simmons in The Passion and then uh, studying it further out, the village of Ramah is also where the prophet Samuel was from. And I just couldn't get past this. I was like, God, you don't do this by accident. What is so important? So I dove off into this study of seeing the connection. I read how Samuel was born. Uh, it's an incredible story of Hannah praying. And just, y'all know the story of, of Samuel. If you, if you don't, go read it. It's incredible. I read some of his prophecies, and nothing was standing out. So while I'm studying, I was sitting at my desk, and I kept going back and forth through First and Second Samuel and could not figure out why it was so important that a man from the same village as Samuel is the one getting Jesus' body. And then I just happened to be on a, flipped over to a page, and on both of them, I could see the removal of Saul, King Saul and the raising up of King David. And immediately, Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that's the Old and New Covenant. And then I said, are you sure? And I'm just being honest with y'all. I heard it, but I had never heard it. So you can even ask my dad. About this time, I'm in my study. He calls me. Hey, can you come meet me at Hatton's and pick me up? So I jumped in the truck. I ran in the guy, and we're on our way back. And I asked dad. I said, hey, I got a question for you. Have you ever taught or preached on King Saul and King David representing the old and the new covenant? He was like, no. I've never even heard of that. So then I was really thrown off. Like, am I even allowed to teach this? Is this even legal? But me and him got to going back and forth in the truck and just talking about, and it's easy to see if you study David's life, it's easy to see David as a representation of the new covenant. There were so many messianic ties to David of him being Christocentric, of just pointing to Jesus. Everything he was doing, he was going into the temple and breaking all the rules. He was taking the bread and feeding his men. He created a tabernacle where you could come in and you could go to God yourself. He was doing all these things, and it's, it's a, if you read the whole of David's life and you don't get caught up in all the messy stuff, you see this beautiful picture that's pointing towards Christ is coming. You see this beautiful picture pointing. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the scriptures we're going to use tonight, it calls the new covenant an everlasting covenant. 
The beautiful thing about the new covenant is that it's everlasting, it's perpetual. Do you know King Saul was never intended to be perpetual? If you go and read the, the, God just appointed him to shut the people up. Really, I mean, if you read the story. He was never meant to be everlasting. But all of a sudden, a David comes on the scene. After 1 Samuel, you will not read the name King Saul again until Paul mentions him in one verse in Acts chapter 21. But after 1 Samuel, you'll read King David's name over and over and over, so much so that in the New Testament, they say that he's going to restore the tabernacle of David. So I begin to look at this, and God began to show me a man from the village of Samuel, the prophet, who anointed both the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now there's a man from the same village getting Jesus' body, who through burial and resurrection is doing away with an Old Covenant and establishing a New Covenant. Tell me God's not in the details. See, if you don't understand this, you won't treat the details as holy as they are. We're about to get into this. See, because the providence of God, he already knew from the foundations of the world, I'm going to have a prophet Samuel, and he's going to anoint and appoint King Saul, who will represent the old covenant. I'll remove him, and Samuel will anoint David, representing the new covenant. And then, so many years later, Jesus is going to die on the cross, and I'm going to need a man from the same place to come get his body and escort him from one covenant to the next. My God, I could run through that wall right now. Y'all are not as geeked up about this as you should be. So it was an, it, for me, it was an incredible, incredible moment to begin to look at God was setting all of this in order. Because doesn't it sound good when Colby preaches last night, he talks about you being predestined from the foundations of the world. It sounds really good. But you can't mentally go there and get that, right? Part of you is like, eh, really? Before there was anything, he knew who I was going to be. But the beauty of the providence of God is before he created the foundation of the world, he was making preparations for your future. But what's crazy is providence is preparation for a future possibility. So God was putting all the things in place to give you the possibility to live in your destiny. And he uses details all through the Bible of every little person's life and every little detail and everything. And I'm wanting so bad to go into the King Saul and King David thing, but I feel like that's a different teaching. But there's so many things pointing to what's happening that a man from the same place as Samuel gets to be the one who escorts Jesus' body from one covenant into the next. Jesus dies in the old covenant and he's resurrected in an everlasting blood covenant. And so God already had all this planned out. Not only that, but where did man mess everything up? In the garden. So where did Jesus need to be buried? In a garden. God doesn't play around, y'all. He's got this figured out. His preparations are beyond our imagination. From the beginning of this thing, he was making preparations that we can't even wrap our minds around. That's why he said, you think I can't take care of you and I take care of every sparrow, every lily? All that's handled. You know why? Because he made preparations for it. Let, let me ask you this. 
How often does the success of something you're doing hinge upon the preparations you made before it? Any of you guys that work like in plants, rigs, things like that, I've noticed they'll spend four hours preparing for a job that takes 20 minutes. And I'm sitting over there thinking, bro, if you just get out of my way, I'd have done had this done. We could go home. But it's the preparation that determines how successful it is. My God is so good at preparations that the efficacy, the effectiveness of the cross was perfect because his preparations were perfect. He prepared it before the foundations of the world. And then Jesus comes on and makes the decisions that lead him in the preparations that his father had already made. His father made the preparations for him to go to the cross, and Jesus had to go to a garden and pick that preparation. See, providence doesn't mean it's going to happen whether you want it or not. Because God doesn't operate like that. What he does is puts the pieces in place and says, here's your opportunity. Now, will you choose, Lord, be it unto me according to thy will? See, some of you are thinking I'm quoting the garden, but I'm not. I'm quoting Mary. And when Mary had the opportunity to carry the Savior, she had to respond, be it unto me according to thy will. Then we go to the garden, and we see Jesus say, Father, not my will. Do you understand that him saying that meant in that moment he had a different will than God? You never thought about that, did you? You never thought about that. you got to read the Bible. It's so good. Where are we at? Providence. Man lost access to God in a garden. So Jesus was buried in a garden to restore access back to God. It's, you know, I hate that old saying that it says the devil's in the details. He's not. God is. You're giving the devil way too much credit. The devil is in your lack of preparation. Ooh, my, I didn't mean to say that. God, you deal with that. Where are we at? So God was, look at this. We're only looking at, what, five verses here. And look at how much providence is evident in just these five verses of the tomb. I noticed when I got to looking at this, because I was thinking, all right, Colby's got Friday night, Dad's got Sunday morning, I've got the tomb. So I went in and looked at the scriptures. The crucifixion scriptures are forever. The resurrection is incredible, and there's so much about it. And then you get four scriptures on the tomb. I'm like, thanks, guys. Appreciate that. But it's easy to be eclipsed by the crucifixion which was so gruesome and the resurrection which was so glorious. But there had to be a place where he could be escorted from one so gruesome to one so glorious. Right? And it was the preparation of the escorting that made this thing possible. And God had it all planned out. He knew what was coming. Why is this so important? And why, why, why are we getting into the providence and the details? Because of Hebrews chapter 4. Yeah. 
that there was a promise made. There was some providence that happened that prepared something for us. And in getting ready for this, and I kept reading this, that he, this happened on preparation day. This happened on preparation day. So I went in and began to study the culture and what exactly was preparation day. Does anybody here know what preparation day was? All right, good. I'm not the only one that didn't know. All right, good. I get to teach you something tonight. Preparation day was the day before Sabbath, or you would know Sabbath. It was the day before Sabbath. And on the Sabbath day, you couldn't work, you couldn't cook, you couldn't, you couldn't do anything. Right? So the day before, <laughs> John just got converted to the Sabbath. Uh, <laughs> so the, John's going to call his boss, I can't come in Saturday, it's the Sabbath, I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, but so the day before, they would make all the preparations so they could rest. Oh, I need you to start seeing some stuff. So, in other words, if we're going to eat Saturday, we need to make all the preparations on Friday. We need to cook everything. We need to have everything set up. We need to call who's going to come. We need to make sure the animals are put up. We need to make sure everything's done. I need to call and cancel that thing that I had going on because I'm not going to make. All, these, all the preparations had to be made on Friday. You had to do all the things necessary to make sure there was no work to be done on the Sabbath. It was a day of working to make sure you're ready to enter a day where you don't work. <laughs> this is so good. So when I read he did it on preparation day, the Holy Spirit began to show me when Jesus said, it is finished, he meant all the preparations have been made and now you get to enter into a rest, which we call Sabbat. You get to enter into a life of rest, Hebrews chapter 4, you see me? The promise of rest, all the preparations have been made. So if you're still working to enter into this rest, you're breaking the fourth commandment by not honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. You want to know how you defile the Sabbath? Work for your salvation. Work to be righteous. Work to do what Jesus did and you could not. My gosh, that's good stuff. See, what happens is there's a promise that Jesus made every preparation for. Man, God was thinking about every detail, and he was like, if I'm going to use Jesus to make every preparation, it would only be appropriate if I buried him on preparation day. Because God is so good. So we begin to see... The promise that we are called to live in, the completeness, the fullness, all the work being done, all salvation being finished and paid for, was all prepared for on that Friday. It was all done. And then there was a quiet rest on the Sabbath. A whole day of quiet rest. No one did anything. I doubt the disciples were resting. <laughs> they were freaking out. But there was this moment and then all of a sudden on Sunday morning, and I don't get to preach the resurrection because dad always steals that one. Now, but all of a sudden on Sunday morning, Jesus comes out of that place where he had made every preparation. And when he walks out of the grave as a new man in a new covenant, he hands over to us the promise and the preparations to live in this rest. To live in in Hebrews chapter 4. 
He literally walks up and says, here's your salvation. I've done it all. There's nothing left to be done. Because remember, according to culture, on Saturday, you couldn't do nothing. There was nothing else to be done. You just had to rest. So how often, how often are we, maybe unknowingly, breaking that fourth commandment? That says, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Me and Colby were kind of debating before this, and I don't know that I have the right answer. But we were asking, is there still a Sabbath day after the crucifixion? Or are we living in the Sabbath? But I do know this. After the crucifixion, it gave me permission to live permanently in a rest that they had to prepare for. It gave me permission to live freely, resting in the sacrifice of Jesus and not having to work to bring my own sacrifice. It was the day of preparation. It was the providence. Let me show you this as far as being complete. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Just write that down. Colossians 2, 9 and 10. In Him, being Jesus, dwells the fullness of the Godhead, and you are complete in Him. Complete. It's done. It's finished. The promise of rest is done in Him, so there's nothing left to do. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead through the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is pleasing in His sight. I want to read you that in the Passion Translation. Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Listen to this. Now may the God who brought us peace by raising Jesus from the dead. Catch the wording here. Now may the God who brought us peace by raising from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. How did you get peace? Purely because he raised him from the dead. You couldn't prepare for it. You couldn't work for it, and you couldn't earn it. But he says, now be to God who brought us peace just by raising Jesus from the dead. So that he would be the great shepherd of his flock and by the power of the blood of the eternal covenant. Is that all you got? May he work perfection into every part of you, giving you all that you need to fulfill your destiny. And may he express through you all that is excellent and pleasing to him through your life union with Jesus, the anointed one, who is to receive all the glory forever. Amen. Hmm. May he work perfection into every part of you, giving you all that you need to fulfill your destiny. Can I tell you that based on the providence of God, every preparation for you to live in your destiny has already been made. All the steps have been laid out. All the pieces have been put in place. The only thing standing between you and the destiny that he has prepared for you is what you choose next. Will we let fear keep us from walking our destiny? Will we let uncertainty? Will we let uh, what people think of us? Will we let our reputations Will we let any of these things keep us from entering into something that Jesus worked so hard to prepare us for?
Jesus went through everything we talked about last night. All the beatings, scourgings, mockings, crucifixion, things that are, that are just beyond our mind to, to comprehend how bad it really was. He went through all that to make sure every preparation was made that you live in the fullness of your destiny. So now I ask you this. We started with Hebrews chapter 4, and that's where we're going to end. Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since this promise remains, what promise? That every preparation for you to walk in your destiny has already been made. It's already there. Of any interest, let us fear lest we come short of it. Let us fear lest we live short of the preparations that he made. How? It actually says that because they, didn't, they were disobedient, because they didn't believe in it, God called it sin. And do you understand that in this moment, God's wrath was stirred up because they didn't take advantage of the preparations that were made previously? Do you see this? I, I, and, and as I was looking at this, and, and I'm trying to wrap up, these are going to be my last scriptures. The word did not profit them because they didn't mix it with faith, those that heard it. So God says, because you're not taking faith in the preparations that I made, I swear to you in my wrath, you're not going to enter into it. Do you see this side of God who is so passionate for you to live in the fullness of the preparations that he made for you? We see this emotion of God be stirred up when people choose to lay aside the preparation that was made. I just begin to see this from, and it's, and it's so easy. You could take this and be like, oh, God was mad and did all this and whatever. <laughs> you, as a, if anyone here is a parent, you know what this is like. When you do everything, you made every preparation for that kid. You've done everything you could do. You gave them every benefit. You did, and still, they chose to twist off and do the wrong thing. Still, they chose to act like an idiot. I'm just thinking of, me growing up, and my parents gave me every possible preparation to be the most successful I could be, and still woke up one morning to the cops knocking on my door because I was being an idiot. And I could see in my dad this moment, this stirring up of, I made every preparation, I've done everything, and you're going to go out and do something like this? Come on, can we see him as a father or is this too real? If this gets too heavy and too real, it's the proof that you've laid aside the preparation. When this moment of us seeing God in this moment and we get offended, oh, how's God going to act like that? Look at Jesus. That's how he acts like that. See, because the thing is, we have to take on the responsibility that in our garden of Gethsemane, we also have to say, Father, not my will, but your preparations be done. Everything you went through, every detail you set up, everything you worked out, I want that one. He said, because they wouldn't mix it with faith. He said, but look at this. They shall not enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. I made every preparation. I made everything. See, Red agrees with me. He made every preparation. Can I tell you, 
In closing, this conversation we see right here that is talking about the Old Testament is the same conversation that's happening right now in our lives. God is still saying, through the blood of Jesus Christ, I made every preparation necessary. I did it all. I accomplished everything. So, will you not enter my rest even though I finished all the work? There was so much fun and excitement in studying this word out. I legit had a blast reading this and studying the culture and everything that it was. And then I got to this point. And it was like God began to ask me, what are you doing with all the preparations I made for your life? Are you taking advantage of everything I did? Every move I made. And I'm not, I mean, the biggest one is Jesus on the cross. Don't get me wrong. That's the greatest. But what about even the small details that he's worked out for you? What about the small things he worked out to just make things happen in our lives and, 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 and maybe shift some things, move some things? What are we doing with those preparations? What are we doing with the little bit of influence he may have put in our life at this moment? What are we doing with the job that he's given us at this moment? What are we doing with the family that he's given us this moment? All the details in our lives that he's worked out. All the preparations that have been made. Everything it took to prepare you for your destiny. What are you doing with them? What are we doing with them? What are we as Life Church doing with all the preparations made for God to do what he wants to do through this church, through this body, through this family? What are we doing? with the preparations. I want to know, in, in the Passion Translation in Hebrews chapter 4, it words it a little differently. It says that you would enter into this faith rest life. That by faith, you would live a life in this rest. I want to know that in my life, I've mixed it with that faith. And I've entered into the promises that he has given me. And I've taken full advantage of all the preparations that were made. So tonight, we're not going to do an altar call. I don't even need some music tonight. You guys just sit, chill. I just want us corporately as a body. We're just going to take a moment. We're going to pray for a minute. We're going to stop and reflect on our own lives. I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to, for one begin to stop and just think about the magnitude of the preparations God had to make for your life. Just take a moment and see if you might can possibly wrap your mind around the magnitude of the preparations it took just for your life. The providence that had to take place just for you. And then I want you to ask yourself the sobering question, what have I done with those preparations? What have I done in my life? What am I doing? What decisions am I making in this moment that are causing me to live in the fullness of the preparations that he has made? And in that, have I without understanding, maybe without realizing it, have I broken the fourth commandment that says remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? 
I don't know about you guys, but when I wrote that down and connected it with breaking a commandment, it felt heavy. It felt real. And I told Colby, I said, I feel most convicted because maybe the fact that I've never stopped and even considered the fourth commandment. I mean, the other ones are obvious, right? But I feel like the fourth one, we don't even think of, we don't even consider. What am I doing as it relates to the Sabbath? Remembering it and keeping it holy. Last thing, and I'm out of your way. Yesterday, when Joey shared his testimony of just ministering to the lady at the cash register, I was in the middle of studying for this sermon. So in my mind, all I could see was the providence of God. That Joey had started coming to this church, what, over a year ago originally, right? Came for a while, we see him here and there, and was gone for a space of time, then all of a sudden it was like he just came back and dove in head first, right? And just got connected and got plugged in and started spending some time with us guys and just being stirred up and influenced. And all, all this was happening over months, over a year, all this happening, going on that Friday night with us, experience. All that stuff was happening leading up to the moment because God knew the night before last there would be a lady that works at Target who would pray a prayer for the very first time. And so he went back a year ago and said, I'm going to start preparing Joey to be the answer to her prayer. And the providence of God began to put things in place and make things happen and left Joey, I don't mean to just bust you out like this, put Joey in the position to make a choice. Will I partner with the preparations that have been made for this lady or will I bow out and her miss that incredible opportunity? But in the preparation, Joey chooses to say yes and gets to minister to this lady. And the testimony was incredible. Another one today, he don't even know it yet, but there was a young lady that came through. There's a whole lot going on. Some of us know the situation. We got to minister today. We're just trying to pull her in, trying to love her, trying to reach out to her so hard. And she pulls up, and it was crazy. It was chaotic right at the end. And uh, I guess I can just throw it out there. Branson just pays for the gas and just doesn't think nothing about it. He's filling the car up, and I leaned in and told her, I was like, hey, we're filling your tank up. She's trying to get money out, and she's panicking. I was like, no, don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's covered. And in that moment, you could see a shift in her, her mentality of, because the whole thing was, they're judging me and this and that. And it was like all of a sudden she's seen through all that, this group was willing to step up and love me in this moment. And it did something. And the whole time she was there, I was trying. You can ask Taylor. I walked up. I was like, you're going to come see me at church? And she was just straight up like, no, nah, I ain't coming. Like, she's just been honest like that. But after that moment, I walked back around to the car and began to talk to her. And she just began to open up, tears in her eyes. Do you see the providence of God? He didn't know anything was going on. He's just, Man, let's do it. Let's just buy this right now. Like, let's just roll. But it was the providence of God who set all those moments up and gave us the privilege to partner with it in that moment. Guys, we've got to get back to understanding how holy the details are. And I use that word specifically. It's in the details. Father, I thank you for tonight. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.